Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. How's everybody? Cool. If we could start the clock back there. I want to give a shout out to those that cleaned the men's restroom because it was like sparkly and, you know, paper towels and soap and blue water in the urinals where it looks, you know, fresh and clean and uh, so it's so awesome. <laughs> nice to go in there. So anyways, so I just want to give a shout out. Thank you so much for all of you that come and help and set up and do um, what uh, God has asked you to do in your part when it comes to our uh, corporate worship. But yeah, if we could start the clock and um, this morning I'd like to just start off with a little bit of a personal story of mine. In 2012, end of 2012, early 2013, um, after working um, at the workplace I had been at for about um, 17 years, 16, 17 years, same, same workplace, uh, same type of job, um, my supervisor had come to me and he had asked me if I'd be willing to maybe come to St. Augustine, and uh, they were going to open up a store there, or take over a store there, and for those of you that don't know, I'm in the automotive business, um, and back then I was uh, running and, and directing the parts and service area, so everything that gets your vehicles fixed, uh, 20 years with Toyota doing that, and so uh, I was, uh, and I was encouraged, uh, but I wasn't just asked to come and to uh, just come and help them start, but I actually was asked to go on a trajectory uh, to move up. So I had went from being a part, assistant parts manager to parts manager, managing 10 people, to the latter part of my career, managing 50 people as a director, and then the next step was becoming the general manager, and then maybe one day owning my own store. So I was asked to go to, to maybe become a general manager and at that point, you know, a little bit of background, 37 years, lived in the same place. Uh, people ask me all the time, especially in this area, what ethnicity are you or where are you from? Or, you know, they want to know when I cross the border, basically. Uh, <laughs> but there was no border crossing other than when the Spaniards came in a ship to come to this, this country. And that's how far back my descendants go in the area that I'm at. That's when the Spaniards took over uh, northern New Mexico, which used to be uh, they named Santa Fe actually Little Spain uh, after a place that was in Spain. I don't know where that is. One day I'll, I'll go check it out. So my generations go as far as back as then, and, 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 um, and I was very much a homebody. I would travel all over the U.S., and I would go to places that I love to be at. I love Tennessee. You know, I've been to San Diego, California. I mean, all over the place. And I'd go on these nice trips that we'd win, and, and, and within three to four days, I'd be wanting to go back home to my small little town, you know, in the middle of the mountains, middle of nowhere, and those of you that have been to Santa Fe, New Mexico would understand why in that sense, but I think it was more of just going to something familiar, so for me, it was uh, like uh, crazy to think about that I would move across the U.S. to a place I've never been, uh, with a culture I've never been in, 
uh, food I've never tasted, and, and to do that with my family was just like, we don't do that in, in our area. People just stay where they live. And, uh, but I remember going down the road um, and uh, 10th, 10th Day Avenue North, is that what it's called? 10th Avenue North is, was playing, and, and I really just felt like God was saying, would you leave everything so I could become your everything? Not sure if that's exactly um, if it was God or, or, but I just really felt that. And um, in my heart, I had always wanted to see uh, church planted, churches planted, and also pastors, uh, to help pastors be able to have um, a salary to be able to further the church of God. And um, I remember my first pastor, uh, it's so crazy how um, I ended up here at the Ville, but my first church I ever came to uh, know Christ in was in the worst part of the, of the city of Santa Fe. Uh, there was an arroyo next door to it. It was uh, full of sniffers and drug addicts. Um, it was close to the downtown area. And uh, the pastor that I had, had had came all the way from California making, um, you know, a really good salary to go to this poor little church. And um, when we were there, uh, just learning what that's like to be in that environment, that's where I came to know Christ. And uh, I seen my pastor at times would sign over his check so they could pay the bills of the church. And I believe that did something to me. And I just always saw how even as the church was passed on to me at the age of 24, as he retired and he, and he, and he took a time from pastoring, how hard it was to plant a church or to keep a church going financially. And so I worked a bivocationally, two jobs the whole time, and I'm still doing that to this day. But this opportunity that I had was an, a, on a trajectory to maybe uh, make $7 million within nine years, 7 to $9 million. And my idea was is if, I could, if this could be accomplished, which it was fully possible, this is not a pipe dream, this is possible, that with the nine million, we could probably plant three churches and have three to six pastors on full-time staff with just the amount that I was planning and wanting to invest, never using the money, but as an investment, so it would be perpetual, that it would never end and always grow from maybe four and five and six and seven and eight churches, where there was uh, men and, and women that are called to full-time ministry, and I would be able to have the blessing and the opportunity to be able to say, here's a gift where you could go into full-time ministry. What I've always wanted for myself, I wanted to give to so many people. So it made sense to me. It made sense that this is a possibility that maybe God is doing. What's crazy about this is it, it made sense in my mind, you know, it made sense in numbers. For example, in the 20-year career, I've said this before, if you looked at the graph of profit from year after year, 20 years through the, through the recession, through everything, it's always gone up every year in my department. Never has there been a time where it's gone the, uh, backwards. Never. How does that happen? I only have a high school education. I truly believe it was the Lord, and it always is the Lord, and so I had counseled with some pastors and, and said, maybe God is calling me to business. And don't ever tell a pastor to leave the pastorate for business because it just ain't going to work. 
But I left the pastorate for three years and I moved to St. Augustine. And God never promised that all this would happen. This is what I was planning. This is what I was thinking he was calling me to. I wasn't sure. But I, I do remember him saying that, would you leave everything so I could become your everything? So I knew that was probably what was going to happen. And so as time went on, uh, I was here the first year. Sure enough, we went from the bottom in customer service to the top 46 out of uh, 1,100 dealers across the nation within the first year. We like probably increased, it was 40% increase from that first year. Second year was like a 20-some percent increase. Everything was going down that path. I was signed up to become a general manager, and then all of a sudden, I was told it wasn't going to happen, at least in the time that I thought it was going to happen. It wasn't mean that it wasn't never going to happen, but it wasn't going to happen in the time frame that we said it was. And I felt like I moved everything and did everything for nothing. It was so so hard for me. I, I went into a depression, severe depression, and we find ourselves in the book of James chapter 4, verse 13 to 17. It says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. See, there's nothing wrong with making a profit. There was nothing wrong with me desiring to go towards this place that I was just naturally be getting a, a promotion to go to with the idea that with the finances and with what God would do, that it would be perpetual and it would help and give and serve. There's nothing wrong with it. God has no problem with profit made uh, right, right? There's nothing wrong with that. And in no way I feel that I did this just like flippantly, right? We fasted, we prayed, we sought counsel, you know, we sought God's voice to hear, God, is this you? But James is saying, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go in such and such a place, today or tomorrow. In other words, every day, living your daily life where we're just going to do whatever we're going to do. And we're going to do this and we're going to make a profit. Verse 14 says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. I would like to look at this set of scriptures, keeping this in mind, this, this part right here that we're, we're, we're teaching on today. We're preaching through the book of James. But let's go over to Luke uh, chapter 12, verses 16 to 21. Luke chapter 12, verses 16 to 21. Luke chapter 12, verse 16 to 21 says, And he told them a parable saying, Who's he? Jesus. The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. Look at the eye. 
I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and therefore I will store all my grain, my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared for those, I mean, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So I'm going to have a little bit of question here, and I need your attention. I want you to pay attention here. So here's some questions. There's going to be a lot of questions, okay? Here we go. How about you? What is your crop? What is your investment? Just like in James, what is your profit or your treasure? As Jesus says, he laid up treasures. What is it? Another way to ask this is, what are you afraid of losing? What are you afraid of losing? Some of us are working so hard on certain relationships because we're so afraid of losing it or it going away. Or maybe because it's been broken so much and it's so fragile, those relationships, that we're afraid and we're working super hard. Some of us are working so hard to keep up a certain persona, a certain way that people think of us. Some of us are working so hard because we did not have enough when we were younger. It always seemed like it ran out, so we're working so hard so it never runs out. Next question. What is it that you're willing to bypass God for, to build something, to protect it, store it, and maybe even get more of it? What is it you're willing to bypass God for? So you can build something to protect it, to store it, and maybe to go get more of it. What is it? Now let's go back to this parable or this story that Jesus is talking about. And here's the question, the next question. What do you notice about the possessions Jesus is talking about? What about these possessions? Here we go. The land of a rich man produced plentiful, and he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this, I will tear down my barns, and I will build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, if we can go back to that, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So he is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. What do you notice about those possessions? You can answer audibly, anyone. They're dying? They're not eternal. It's found in verse 20, and you're spot on. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? See, they are a perceived possession. They were never truly his. It was in his mind that he thought they were his. They were a perceived possession, but not reality. Do you see all the mys that he talked about? Do you see all the eyes that he talked about? 
Now, thinking about James 4, 13 to 17, that's that right there. There's a correlation here in this parable. I'm going to read it again. Here's the next question. What is the most valuable possession they both have in James? Don't answer yet. And in Luke. Land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this, and I will tear down my barns, and I will build the large ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? What is it that he has? That, what is it, the most valuable possession that he has that they're spending and will never get back? They'll never get back that time, and they're spending it, right? Now, here's another question. Maybe it's the last. I'm not sure. Who are the people that Jesus and James are talking about? Who are the people that Jesus and James are talking about? Who is that in that story? Who is it? Anyone? It is you. It is me. Who is the fool here? It's me. When you and I are working and working and working and working to build something to protect whatever it is that we treasure. He just received the benefit, the crop, the, the blessing, and now he goes and makes a decision, I will spend the rest of my time to go build something instead of going to God and say, what should I do? What should I do with this blessing? This is not my blessing. This is your blessing. How should I steward it? What should I do with this? But there's another treasure that's greater than time. There's another treasure that's even more beautiful and much better. And what do you think it is? Come on. Yeah. The gospel. There's a much better treasure than the time, than the resources, than whatever it is. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay. They're saying, what this is saying, the Word of God is saying, is that the gospel has now been not just displayed outside of us, but now it's in jars of clay, those jars of clay is you and me to show that the surpassing power, the power of God, Romans 1 says, is the gospel, right? The power of God is the gospel, belongs to God and not of us. So will you squandle your, squandle your time by trying to control the outcome of every perceived treasure you have while at the same time missing out on the most valuable and eternal and lasting treasure, the gospel? 
When I say squander time, you may jump to think, okay, I better get busy, and I better do something with my time, right? Many churches talk about, you know, God wants you to use your time, your talent, and your treasure, right? It's you doing, you making this happen, you being wise with this, you stewarding this well. Okay, we get that. And that's probably what you're thinking right now. Your duty. But that is not what I'm talking about. What that actually means Maybe slowing down just to treasure the treasure. Treasure the treasure. Savor in it. Bask in it. Rest in it. Flow in it. Lay down in it. In the gospel. So maybe you're feeling guilty and you're thinking, man, I've made many decisions. That's what James is talking about without God. And I've squandered my time you know what is so amazing? That the gospel has an answer for that as well. Even if you squandered your time, even if you were the fool in Luke, like I'm the fool in Luke, even if you're the one that James is talking about, that his life is like a vapor, it's here one moment and it's gone the next, the gospel has an answer for that as well. Even if you are the one that may die today, there's not a guarantee that all of you will make it home or make it through the night. But just like James and Jesus is talking about, guess what? Even in death, the gospel allows you to have eternal life so you can go ahead and treasure the gospel forever, even if you squandered it. God redeems our sin of squandering. God redeems our sin of of not believing Him, not addressing Him, not asking Him, what would you want? Thinking we're in control, planning without Him, and gives all that time back to treasure what our hearts have always been looking for. And the greatest example is the thief on the cross. He did not even make it through one full day, but yet he, was, he has treasured the gospel for more time and me, than me, than you, and everyone in this room put together. That's how beautiful this treasure is, the gospel. That even if we squandered it, It's so important to catch this. That many times we're looking for this treasure. We're looking for this face. I'm thinking of the time when Jesus comes over to his friend's house. Martha and Mary. Lazarus. And he's there chilling. And Martha's busy. But Mary chooses the better thing, to treasure the treasure. When all along Martha was worried and she was trying to build and create and make happen and take care of what she thought was most important, but yet what most important was there already. But Mary was treasuring the treasure. This whole time in everything that we're doing, we could be doing something to to protect what we have, to, to take care of it, but yet we're missing the treasure. So whoever, so 
uh, James says in the end, in verse 17, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. There's only one thing that is the right thing to do. It's the same question that they asked Jesus when they said, what must we do to do the works of God? And they thought they had him. They're always trying to pin Jesus to the wall. They thought they had him. And he says to them, what must you do to do the things of, uh, uh, the things of God? What would you do to work for God? Do the works of God? He says, you must believe. And James is saying here, to him that knows what to do and does not do it is a sin. The greatest sin and the greatest not doing is to not treasure the treasure. To treasure and to believe is to treasure, is to believe, is to treasure, is to believe, is to treasure. Would you take some time this morning, church, and treasure the treasure with me today? Would you take a moment this morning and just get, just take this next few minutes to just treasure the treasure, maybe the next five or ten minutes. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says, but God, somebody say, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses had made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. See, there's a lot of churches, uh, a, a million pastors that will preach a million times to you what you are to do. And many times that's the problem, just like those that ask Jesus, what must we do, right? They always ask him what we must do. But the problem with that is the question is the problem. It's not what must we do, but how do we do it? Because each and every single one of us knows what to do. The law, we're made with the law in us. Jesus, when he, uh, God, when he makes uh, Adam, he tells him what to do. He tells him the law. We're made knowing the law. But, he, but the problem is, is we need to know how to do it. And the how-to is treasuring this treasure. And I want to take this time to do that. See, I can preach about, you know, Sister So-and-So has such a wonderful, amazing prayer life. And, and you can count on her to pray. And she's such a prayer warrior. And, oh, Brother So-and-So, he comes to church and he's faithful to set it up and to clean it and make it nice. And you can depend on him. And I'll get the church shouting and half the churches on this Sunday are shouting about a gospel that's about a person, about themselves. But I want to see if maybe you'd be able to shout a little bit about a gospel that's about our God. So this morning, can we treasure the treasure, but God, right? But God, in Ephesians 2, verse 4, but God, God, no one comes before him because he is the beginning, the alpha. No one comes and can get around him because he's the end, the omega. He is, he was, and he always will be. Heaven and earth may pass away, but the, his word shall always stand forever. He is all-powerful, right? He is almighty. In Spanish, it is said, he is todo poderoso. Who does he depend on? No one. Why? Because he is God and God all by himself. He is our treasure. Will you treasure our treasure this morning? He says here, but God, being rich in mercy, he is rich in mercy. Our God is rich in mercy. When the drunkard came and the tax collector came and the prostitute came and, and, and the Pharisees were saying, we got him now. What is he going to do with them? Well, guess what Jesus is going to do with them? He, he's going to do with them what he always does. He, he, Jesus dupes them by saying what? That they do what they do. He is rich in mercy. That's how he says, because he's rich in mercy. See, we've done even worse than that, and yet he comes to us. Now, 
I said he is rich in mercy. So you are worse than the tax collector. You are worse than the drunkard. You are worse than the prostitute. But God being rich in mercy, does anyone know what I'm talking about? Will you treasure the treasure with me this morning? Now, it just doesn't say that it's but God and that he's being rich in mercy, but it also says what? Because of the great love which he loved us. Why did he do this? Because of the great love which he loved us. What kind of love is this? It's a great love, a love that goes first, a love that loves the unlovable, a love that lays down his life willingly to die for us who were once his enemies, a love that says, forgive them for they know not what they do as they are nailing him to a cross, a love that never fails. This love is just not a general love, like an abstract love, like love everybody love, like life is about love on all those bumper stickers, but this love is for you. This love is for me. Can we treasure the treasure this morning? Somebody say, but God loves us personally loves us he says because of the great love which he loved us not just loved God isn't just love but he loved us it says even when when we were dead in our trespasses and sin he made us alive together he's come he's a come to get you God he is a come to get you God he comes to get you in the depths of your sin where you were drowning and he needed to be rescued. There is a gospel that says that we reach up to grab God's arm, but that is a false gospel, for the gospel that we believe is that we had no arms to reach with, and we were drowning, he reached down and grabs us. He just doesn't reach down and grab us then when we come to Christ, but he reaches down and grabs us every single day. And if if that meant we had to become the, that mean, even if that meant he had to become the very sin that we were drowning in, the scripture says, he that knew no sin became sin so that we may become the righteousness of God. He became every evil sin that has ever been, that's ever happened in this world, your sin and my sin. He's a come get me, God. We're in the book of James where James talks about the tongue and he says, man, you need to be quick to listen and slow to speak, but we are a quick to speak and slow to listen, right? He's a come get me God when we're slow to listen, when we are gossiping, when we're trash talking, when we're slandering, right? We trust no one, so we talk about everyone so we can keep them at a distance, but we've talked ourselves sometimes into a mess and even God comes to get me when I'm in my mess. Maybe you're in a real tough spot. Maybe you're in a real dark place. I don't know if anybody knows what I'm talking about here, if they've ever been there. Maybe I'm the only one here in this room that's been like that. And, and life just did not make any sense. And life lost its taste. But God comes to get you because he's a come get me God. Can we treasure the treasure this morning? Maybe you drank too much. Maybe you're in a place you should not be. You're in a place you should not be with people you shouldn't have been with that could hurt you really, really bad. Anyone ever been there once, a night or two? Huh? Nobody here that's ever been that? Well, I've been there. Even as a Christian, I've been there. And I ask myself, how did I get out of there? Because we have a God that is a come get me God. He goes to those places when we put ourselves in our own mess and he comes and gets them out. And I just think back and I say, man, like so many bad things could have happened to me. I could have ended up in jail. 
Someone could have taken and kidnapped me, kidnapped my wife, kidnapped my kids. So many bad things could have happened, but yet he's a come get me, God. Maybe you're, you're just controlling everything around you. Maybe uh, uh, you're just trying to make things happen and keep it together, and it's very hard to be around you, and it's draining you, and it's draining those that are close to you. He's a come get me, God. Maybe you're just not like any of the above. Maybe, as a matter of fact, you're actually thanking God right now, man, I'm glad I'm not like any of that. Well, guess what? God comes to get the self-righteous too. The beautiful thing is he just doesn't come to get us, but he also keeps us. He says, whoever's in my Father's hands, no one will be able to snatch out. See, all that this earth treasures, the stuff that Jesus and James is talking about is what we do. But what we're talking about here is what the gospel is, what God does for us and to us. What comes out of believing uh, out of this treasure of treasuring? Again, a million preachers can tell you a million times what you need to do, but the real question is, how do we do it? See, out of treasuring, out of the, the fruit of the gospel comes the doing. It could never be left up to us on our own to do. It's impossible. I don't care how much self-discipline, I don't care how, how, what, how organized you are. I don't care what accountability group you're in, which is all good. Self-discipline is good. Accountability group is good. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, what will last is what Jesus does in us. He does for us what we cannot do. Jesus, the gospel, is if he is doing for me what I cannot do for myself, then I can rest that if it is done, it is because of him. What has brought us the most profit? What is the largest treasure that we have? The treasure of the gospel. What will you do with it? Will you treasure it? So James is talking here, and he's saying... Man, this life is passing, it's so quick. And it's just so important for us not to miss the treasure, right? For us not just to just go after the prophet. It's hard to make decisions. It's hard to, to know what is the will of God. And um, there's a couple things I'll just put out there, and not a list or anything, but I think they're wise. And that is that a couple friends in your life that are real close to you that will tell you the truth even if it hurts you, that's a good way to seek and ask, is this what God wants, right? Uh, will this cause me to treasure God more or will it get in the way? Uh, will this take away time that, for me to be with Jesus and, and be able to treasure him? This next move, this next decision, what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do even every day with my life. Um, your spouse, if you have one, 
a mom, a dad, if they're close to you and a believer, your children. I remember uh, after uh, the announcement that I, I wasn't going to uh, move to general manager at the time that I wanted to, I was still going to go to school for it and all that. I, I, I wish I would have waited and ha had patience, but at the same time, I'm glad I didn't. Uh, because during that time, I came to this church uh, here, the Ville Church, and it was a treasure. It is a treasure. And for three years, I did no ministry other than, uh, sorry, I shouldn't say that. I was not in pastoral ministry. I was in Kidsville. Morgan was my boss, one of the best bosses I've had so far uh, in church ministry, including all the pastors that have been uh, over me. Uh, and I was seeing uh, uh, Matt and Jay just throwing down, and I was on the sidelines like, do it. You got it. Go. <laughs> you know, you're going to make it. Don't worry. And I, I experienced people loving me just for, for, for the gospel's sake, nothing else, no strings attached. It was weird. It was the best. Still is the best. And I decided to go back. And I, I didn't have a calling to go back to Santa Fe. I didn't have provision to go back to Santa Fe. My wife was on the middle and more of no, we shouldn't. And my kids were like, heck no. And we go back. Did God, you know, uh, beat me up for going back? No. Did he, you know, uh, discipline me for going back? No. But I, I believed I shouldn't have went back. But the beautiful thing is it brought me right back here. During that time, God touched my job. He touched my health. He touched my children. He touched my relationships that I had in Santa Fe forever at my work, at my church. I was pastoring with five other pastors, four other pastors. He touched everything. Remember what I felt that God would said that, hey, would you leave everything so I could become your everything? He touched all that. He touched all the treasures. See, I thought somehow that if I did everything that God said I should do, I thought I was doing it right, and I kept everything just right and neatly packaged uh, that, and even maybe even try to help him out by wanting to invest and do all this to provide for ministry and church plants and pastors, like, like you know, the best I can do, that my life would just be a-okay and it was up until that point but what I realized is that I was actually out of control I wasn't in control and I thought I was in control and I remember one of the pastors from this church I called him up and I was like man like I, I'm just like losing it right now and he says you know what get him back get in the back seat and let God take the wheel uh, get in the front and he said just ask God for grace for today and when he said that uh, it just really, really made all the difference in the world. And he told me, whether you go or whether you stay, God's going to be there as long as you're wanting to provide for your family and live for God and love God either way. He didn't try to control me and make me stay. You know, a lot of pastors, when you're vulnerable in that moment, they're like, hey, you know, I'll give you all these scriptures so you can stay. That didn't make me want to be here. It didn't make me want to leave. It made me want to come back. And I know that there's many in the church that have come back to this place. Because if we're going to practice the gospel, that's the time. It's unconditional. It's got to be a God thing to be here. And that's very rare in a church. It's very rare. What we have is rare. It's unique. And uh, so what can I say was it God's will for this? Was it God's will for that? All I know is that God has the last say so. God 
is in control. Right? Maybe if I would have become the general manager, maybe I would have got more sick. I don't know. Maybe the money would have took me away instead of where it's supposed to go. I highly doubt that. Because I love to give. Uh, that's what God's done in my heart. I don't say that pridefully. I love it. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. I have no idea. But what I do know is that it made me depend on God more than ever before. What I do know is that it, did, it was true that he became my everything. He became the treasure. And don't get me wrong, I still have a tendency to want to, like, make everything work out. I know I'm not the only sinner in the room, so don't point the fingers. <laughs> so I wrote a poem. Uh, it says, um, Oh, what a treasure you are to me, sinner who was dead and could not see. Death on a cross, you gave it all, breaking the curse from the fall. Oh, what a treasure you are to me, rising from the grave so I could be free. As we ask the worship team to come up, my prayer this morning is that as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we truly believe that God is doing something supernatural in the natural of taking the bread and the, and the juice as a representation of his body being broken up for us. We are seeing the treasure right before us in the bread being broken and reminding us that there's forgiveness for our sins. There's forgiveness for all the above that I just talked about. And that there was a great sacrifice of his blood being poured out for you and me. And we do this together as a church and we believe that the Holy Spirit is here this morning doing something supernatural in your heart and my heart because again, it's not you, it's Him that's the, that does the doing. It's through that unity that we have in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he has a new nature. There's a unity there, right? Where we've been united with Christ and in that unity, He's working. And since he's working, we can rest and know that he's going to continue to work. He's going to continue to do what we cannot do for ourselves. The beautiful thing about that is we don't have to give, keep it up and that he's going to continue to do it until the day that we go to be with him, right? He has good works created beforehand, and it's him that's doing it. But would you take some time as we come and prepare ourselves, and, and if you've never known Jesus, if you've never known that he has died for your sins, and that on the third day he rose again to give you a new heart and a new life, and you can be forgiven of whatever sin it is, and you're ready to respond and saying, I believe that, I receive that, then you're welcome to come. But if you never have, we ask that you would refrain from that, because the scripture says it would be doing it unworthily, and it'd be uh, placing judgment on yourself by being so frivolous with the treasure. Would you take a moment to treasure the treasure this morning as we partake of the Lord's Supper and just take a moment to think, man, what, what is it that I'm trying to store up? What is it that I'm trying to work for? What? And, and believe me, there's so much good intentions in, in, even in all of that sometimes. But am I missing the treasure? 
am I, am I missing the time to treasure, to treasure, that I may treasure Jesus, my treasure our God.